Hello. Hello, Maxwell. Hello. How's it going? Pretty good. Pretty good. How's it going with you? Ready to just come in hot? Are we just going to do it? I think so. Do, we, do I sound fine? Hey, welcome everybody. This is uh, this is a podcast about fields and about work, and it's called Fields of Work. And I am Sam, and I am Max. No, oh, that was quite the delay there. Did you forget your name? No, no, I was I was uh, I was messing around with my headphones for a second, and I apologize. Okay, <sighs> thought I was ready. Thought I was Sorry, ready. Man. Hey, Max, let's <laughs> check in. All right, and I want to do. Yep. I've had enough of these. Uh, kind of just BS, frivolous check-in questions. I want to get mm-hmm. to the heart of the matter today. Are you Are you willing yeah. to do that with me? Yeah. Get real. Something with stakes. Something with yeah. stakes. I want to get real here. And here's okay. the check-in round question. Yes. What's the best bird? Just uh, no uh, no variables or anything that I'm supposed to keep, no, in, just keep in mind. What's just, just best the bird. best bird? It's a simple question. Good oh, goodness. Now I'm, now I'm worried. I don't um, – um, I think Flossie would be upset if I didn't say a goose. Okay. But- <laughs> Flossie can't hear you, man. It's okay. It's okay. You, hey, Blink twice sure? if Flossie's in the room with you. <laughs> uh, um, oh, you know, Sam, I think the best bird – see, there's too many, there's too many categories. Like United States, <laughs> is this, this is worldwide. I'm gonna say Mac, it's simple. What's the best bird? I'm gonna say blue heron. Blue heron my, is the best. That's bird. my answer. All right. Do you, ever, do you ever do you have a runners up or anything? Uh, runners up. I mean, obviously, as an American, say I love a bald eagle. <laughs> I think I think I think flamingos are pretty cool. Flamingos um, are goofy. They're goofy, but the, I mean the fact that they're like that their feathers change color because of their diet. You know, they yeah. actually don't have pink feathers; just what they're eating. They're eating a lot and, of shrimp, right? Yep. Little shrimp and guys. I would say, uh, I think emus, just because it's hard to remember that they're real. Like that's a yeah. real thing. Uh, they're terrifying. We really just—we've talked about emus before, actually, but uh, believe it or not, but they're—they're they're also like a pretty intense bird. Yeah. Um, but go ahead. Sorry. What's your what's the best bird? I mean, you obviously have an answer. The right answer. Uh, no, there's no right answer. I mean, everybody has a different best bird in their heart. Uh, That's true. I think it's a, it's a close race. There's a lot of great. Oh, let's let's okay. just say, hey, let's just say it first. There's a lot of great birds out there. There's a lot of great. A birds. lot of great. <laughs> just great birds. I'm mm. I am partial to the macaroni penguin because they have a cool okay, hairdo. Yep, they sure do. I also like the blue-footed booby because that's just a hilarious name for a bird or yeah. really any animal. Can... They also yeah, look think... funny. Like they okay. look goofy and they kind of like they I think when they walk they kind of like waddle back and forth. Um they're just they're just funny looking. Okay. So yours is mostly based on looks, huh? <laughs> I'm shallow. Like... <laughs> I'm shallow that way, I guess. That's fine. Is that I actually mean... is that what you is that are you accusing me of being shallow? <laughs> no, I think you just accused yourself. Huh. Uh, <laughs> That's my my guilty conscience. Uh, yeah, talking. All right. Well, do you feel did checked in? Did something? Yeah. Did something spur that on, or was that just uh, Sam has been thinking about birds? No, or? we just we used this at a client meeting a, a couple of days ago, and it was funny <laughs> because it was nice. so absurd. Everybody was like, "What?" 
but then and then you realize when you get like a group of like six or seven people to do this, there are strongly held of opinions and feelings about what the best bird is. Not, I'm not surprised people have strong strong feelings about everything. I thought, well, here we could say the same. What's the worst bird? Oh, well, other than Flossie, other which than, is like I, yeah, a specific good. like bird, a specific bird, which is even better <laughs> with a name. Yeah, uh, the worst bird. Huh. You have had you got to have it. I I am thinking for you that there is a worse bird out there. Um. Hmm. Hmm. I mean, you should go first. Oh, I was. I mean, I haven't had. I haven't had many run-ins with birds. You know, thank goodness. Um, yeah. But I was figuring for you, not to just answer for oh, you. Oh, pigeons. But, yeah, pigeons. I assume. I mean, yeah. <laughs> told many I think they pigeon broke, stories, but broke we, into my apartment and shot out all over everything. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. That's a pretty bad move. You know, pigeons are pretty bad birds. They are. They don't really. I mean, can, I'm sure someone's going to oh, write it. Oh, here's another bad bird. Pigeons. Seagulls. Oh, yeah. Well, they're just the pigeons of the sea, as yeah, <laughs> everyone knows. Yeah. <laughs> City rats and sea rats, basically. Yep. Those both are. Do you have a, a, a bat, the worst bird? <sighs> do I have a worse bird? Uh, yeah, I do, actually. Um, this is mainly just because of farming. I've talked about this before. There's a bird out there called a killdeer. It's oh, in the right. plover, plover family. They're the ones Plovers that are nests. so cute. They are, when they're little. Do you ever and watch the Pixar them, short you, about the, with the plover? I don't think I have, but oh. I've, I feel like I sometimes live in this Pixar short about plovers because every farm I've been on always has a lot of killdeer. They make their nests in open fields. They're, I think, endangered or protected. So it's not like you can go – not that I would wreck their nest, but it's always a matter of like we have to work around their nest. Uh, I have one bed out in my field right now that's like not under a tarp because that's where a killdeer nest was. But I will say – and oh, and they're, they're, the actual noise they make is really high pitched and really annoying. Yeah. And the the parent the, the move the parents do to get you away from the nest is not to attack you like a like a like a a strong bird would do with courage. This bird is gonna instead he's gonna walk away ten feet. He's gonna pretend he has a broken wing and kind of like flap his wing all weird and try and get you to come after him. Um, that's honorable. Is, that's a coward's move. No, that's honorable. That bird knows it can't take you head on. It's a tiny little bird, and you're a big man. But what it can do is maybe convince you to come kill and eat it instead of its babies. That is and downright that's, that's, honorable. Here's the, here's the thing. Am I then going to not just go and kill the babies? Am I, am, I, am I only good for one kill? Is that their assumption? I like, mean, I, I think the idea one. is that once, once you've filled your, your belly with bird meat, then you don't want uh, baby meat or eggs. Okay. I, they don't know what I what kind of order I want to eat things in, you know. <laughs> that might be perfect for me. Well, I'm anyways, guessing that this this um, evolutionary behavior that they have developed is not really designed for the uh, reasoning capabilities of a human. That's true. That's true. They should work on it because they're spending a lot of their time now in farmers' fields trying to convince you to- that you're that they're hurt. <laughs> And uh, but I will say you are right. When they hatch, they're stinking cute. The babies run around because their legs are basically adult sized, which is just hilarious. They have these long, skinny legs, and they just look like a little, like almost like a cake pop, you know, or a little puff ball <laughs> on top of these two little legs. And they're just running around the field, and it's so adorable. They can't fly yet, and so there's usually like three or four just kind of like chasing around the mom or the dad in the field. And uh, that's the only time that I appreciate a kill deer. Um, but they're they're very they're very cute. All right, I'll have to go watch the short. Yeah, you should. It's pretty great. It's more of the aquatic plover uh, variety. Okay. I think usually they are more of a beach. I think they're supposed to be like a beach bird. You know, that's kind of yeah. their thing. Um, yep. These. I'm not sure what happened to killdeer. How they ended up so far got away. Got lost. Yep. All right. 
So I feel checked in, you're checked in. A uh, couple of mini topics. Max, what did we do last weekend? Did we do last weekend? Well, we we su- we surprised our mother for Mother's Day. We uh, did. We, we pulled it off. We kept it a secret somehow amongst uh, our three other brothers and our father and everyone else in Michigan. Um, but we did not manage to tip off our mom that we were coming. And so me, you, and your fiance Emily all snuck in Friday evening and surprised her for Mother's Day. Uh, you guys flew in. I drove in. And it was great. It was nice. It was nice to come home. You hadn't been home in been a while. It had been pre-COVID, a right? long time. Yeah, pre pre COVID. I had seen mom and dad when they were in Massachusetts for mm-hmm. a couple of hours back last fall, um, but that had really been been it. So it was nice to get to spend a couple of days together. Yep. We yeah. Uh, what, what do we do? How do we? What were we mainly recruited for? That's kind of why we had to come home. <laughs> well, really, we were put to work immediately doing just a real manly task, which is putting up a fence, which mm-hmm. is, you know, like kind of a quintessential cowboy frontiersman. Homestead, yeah. So yeah, homesteading type of activity. And I if I must say, not to toot my own horn, but I think I was really the ringleader of the uh, the brother group uh, doing that work, right? You were something, yeah. You, um, I mean, staple leader, um, really good, really good holder I was, of things. I, I believe... What I my my title ended up being staple boy, yeah. Which not basically even consisted not even staple man. <laughs> no, staple boy. Basically holding a box of these really heavy duty staples, so not that heavy, you though. that wasn't heavy. No, the box wasn't heavy. The, the staples themselves were heavy duty, yeah. and so that our our brother Nate and and you um, could grab uh, staples out of the box and and hammer them into the fence post. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, Nate, Nate did most of the hammering. It was a crucial role. You know, there was also, you know, it was almost a too many, a too many cooks in the kitchen situation. Yeah. Um, but we put up a fence. Um, yeah. I mean, we left before uh, I think the final touches have been put on the fence, but we can pretty much say we put up a fence. It's mostly up. Yeah, I'm like it's gonna keep some stuff out. Mostly. Um, but yeah, so that was that was last weekend. It was a brief, brief trip. Uh, you guys, how was your flight? Monday morning. It was, it was easy. Right? We had we left the hotel at like five a.m. Uh, after five, eight a.m. flight. It's a short flight back to D.C. Uh, it was uh, pretty pretty easy. How was your drive? They, it was okay. It wasn't. I mean, you know, it wasn't quick <laughs> by any means. Yeah. Uh, I think it took me uh, eight eight and a half hours maybe. Um, but I gain, I mean, eight and a half hours of physical driving, but the nice thing is I gain an hour back because of the central time zone. So, um, you know, I actually know it's closer to nine hours, but either way I got back around 11 o'clock at night. It was, it was fine. Nothing too exciting happened. I drove in rain for quite a while, uh, which is never ideal. Uh, um, other yeah, than how'd that, your, uh, I how's your sunroof? I don't, the sunroof was fixed, so I fixed that a month okay. ago. I forked over um, a, uh, many bucketfuls of money to have them fix this silly, silly thing in my car. Um, but it is nice to be able to drive in rain again. And so, yeah, it was it was totally fine. The car, I mean, like like a champ, took it, handled the the total trip. I think about a thousand miles. I think roughly five hundred each direction. Um, no problem. So it was nice. good. I love, I, mean, I love personally, I love road trips. I love driving. Yeah. Uh, the one, the driving on the way back was a little less fun just cause the last three to four hours were in the dark 
And at that point, it was a drive I, I had literally made three days before. So right. there was less uh, novelty and excitement. You know, on the way there, it was exciting to know that I was going to surprise mom, hopefully, and see family. But on the way back, it was just like, oh, I've got what do I have waiting for me here? A goose. I got a goose waiting. <laughs> just a mean, mean, a mean goose. goose. <laughs> Yeah. But uh it was but it was it was good. You had Fun. your fields waiting for you. Your fields like you. That's true. That's true. And I and I like my fields. How did it feel going away being away from the farm? I think, you know, for the first time for a couple of days um in a row. It was I mean genuinely it is genuinely like a little bit nerve-wracking. Like I I didn't think that things could like even if someone just didn't show up to do any of the stuff even though I had help people helping me while I was gone to uh, Seedlings and and open and close some hoop houses. I think you know most of the stuff would survive regardless when that's short of a trip. But there's definitely a lot of like I kept checking the weather here to see what was going on and you know I, I was funny. I kept expecting like when I showed up back on Sunday night or Monday morning, I came out like everything would look all that different. But it, it had really been about two and a half days where I think the sun <laughs> didn't come out one time. Right. So like everything looked the exact same. Um, but it does. It gets really hard to to take any type of trip. Um, especially during the summer, you just, you know, there's a lot of fluctuation in temperature. The second that you have these hoop house structures, you know, it could be cold outside, but the second it gets really sunny, those, those structures can really heat up and nothing stresses out a plant more than going from, you know, 55 degrees to 90 and, and having it go back down and things like that. So, um, that being said, um, the, the fields and everything were totally fine when I got back. Um, nothing, nothing had really changed, but Nice. Uh, so yeah, successful, I guess you could say. That's good. Sam, you said you had, uh, we're going to finish these mini topics real quick. Uh, you guys sent a sorrowful text to our family this morning. <laughs> um, a member of the family ever, died. Yeah. I don't think it was ever featured on the podcast somehow. Maybe some stories, but what, ha- what happened today, Sam? Well, was this morning a, you guys found out a beloved member of our family, um, Roomby the Roomba. Um, we had to lay him to rest today. And you may be thinking, why are they talking about a Roomba for their ostensibly work-focused uh, podcast? And I'll tell you why. There's a connection here. I got this Roomba with the gift card that Aaron gave to us for our first, I believe it was our first Christmas as a company. We obviously weren't like, making tons of money yet as a company so it's not like there was a big christmas bonus waiting for us but he was kind enough to put i think we each got there's only like two or three of us at the time a couple hundred dollars on uh, an amazon gift card and i used that amazon gift card and this was in the i think the um 2015 christmas of 2015 no yes christmas of 2015 uh to buy this roomba and this roomba has been with me since then. Uh, it was, you know, while I lived in New York by myself in my little studio apartment, it was like my my little roommate, my little pet. Uh, you know, I would be lying if I said I didn't ever kind of have a conversation with, with Roomba or if one of my favorite things wasn't like coming home from a trip and seeing where Roomba had somehow gotten himself stuck in some part of my apartment or the pride and the and the joy that I would feel if I came home and saw that he for the past week had managed to like get himself back onto his charging station all by himself. Um, but this, uh, yeah, this, you know, six year relationship had to, uh, come to an end because 
he was he was a sick boy and he his battery was not lasting very long and he could never make it back to his charging pad on his own and he kept getting stuck on places and he just wasn't just wasn't right and uh, you know we had to take him to the old garbage chute <laughs> the unceremonious <laughs> unceremonious burying of a of a Roomba yeah dropping him down a chute I yep. have a question can you not just replace a battery on a Roomba uh, I believe, uh, Max, that is a question that I hope the answer to is no, because my poor Roomba <laughs> is laying in the garbage right now. I'm just saying, it's not like he lost some intense function other than power, and, you know, I think... I mean, sometimes. he was also... There were other sure, go things. ahead and add other things he was doing wrong so you could justify his death, Sam. I didn't see a very easily replaceable battery. I could be very wrong, though, and in this case, I am a monster for murdering my Roomba. Um, yeah, just wanted to move up in the world and get a better Roomba, so you put him out of his misery. <laughs> I don't back. want him to hear that. But anyway, old yeah. yellered, old yellered him. <laughs> yep, I old yellered my Roomba. I never actually read old yeller. I don't either, but I just know that I just know what happens. A dog, uh, they killed the dog, right? They killed the dog, yeah. Spoiler alert, um, but yeah, okay. Do you have any, do you have any Roomba-specific stories you actually want to share or no? Um, best of Roomba moments or not really? If there one, was time he, um, one time he managed to pull a plant off of a table. That made me sad. Thing. Didn't break the pot, but he's got dirt everywhere and like too much dirt for him to handle. Like I had to bust <laughs> out the actual vacuum. It was above his pay grade. <laughs> yep. yep. That's a smart move on his part. Yep. Maybe that was him, yeah, trying to make a scene, kind of trying to re- either trying to retire or tell you that your floors were already too dirty and this was too much for him. Yeah. That he wanted you to get the real vacuum out. I mean, the real thing about Roomba was I was just – we, Emily and I, like, we don't have kids. We don't have a pet. Our apartment is very clean, like, all the time. <laughs> and I was constantly astounded how much crap Roomba picked up. Every week, like his little his little compartment was totally full. I'm like, what is going on? Like, how are we generating this much detritus for Roomba to to feed on? I feel like you um used to refer to it as his diaper, but it's fine. Oh yeah, we did refer <laughs> to it as his diaper sometimes. Yeah, I think got to uh, change got to change Roomba's diaper. I think there's just a lot of I think humans are dirty, and yeah. if you keep your windows open at all or go out from outside to inside a lot i mean it's i mean like obviously my apartment my tiny house is dirty uh it's just the nature of what i do and i can't avoid bringing dirt inside um but i think I, even i am astounded at what i clean up off my floors i could have used that roomba yeah yeah well, i think we're gonna go we're gonna live a roomba free lifestyle for a little bit see how it goes maybe we'll end up i don't really feel like dropping a couple hundred dollars on a new roomba so uh yeah, what about well, that space in your heart that only a Roomba can fill? Well, I think it'd be almost disrespectful to immediately go out and get a new Roomba. While, okay, while this Especially one carcass is still just laying in the garbage. It hasn't even been taken away yet. Yeah, what is the grieving period for a Roomba? I don't know. I think it's probably more than like four hours. Okay, yeah, probably. <laughs> That's probably true. <laughs> That's true. All yeah. right, well, hey, All right. I'm sorry if you guys had to go through that. That's well, tough. you know, it's just a circle of life. It is. It is. I'm glad you could tie it back into the podcast somehow, too, as well. That's right. Everything ties back to the podcast. It does. Right. It's literally just our lives. So it's true. Can tie back. <laughs> it doesn't true. matter what it is. So we both have quite a few bullets here. And I think um, we uh, – here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guide you through, through yours because there are a couple yeah, things I want to spend more time on, but some things I want you to spend less time on. So, Got it. So let's start – 
with the most important thing, which is a snake count. I see that the number has been incremented by one. It has. Uh, last time I talked about two cottonmouths that I had stumbled upon um, but had very little interaction with. This snake, this guy, um, way more acquainted with. Uh, last week I was doing some stuff in the field, and I saw this snake. There's a wet spot on the farm, like a drain. that kind of cuts through the middle of the fields. And I saw a snake kind of with its belly up in the air, and I thought – Oh, that's kind of weird. And I kind of walked by it, and it moved its head like it twitched a little bit. But I thought for sure that what had happened was either it had died from something else or I had run over it accidentally with, like, my the UTV. I was really like, oh, this thing is, like, kind of on its last life. Like, a oh, bummer. And then later when I was kind of working in that corner, I kept keeping an eye on it to see if it was moving at all. And I got closer to it and discovered that it was very much alive and that it was indeed just caught up in this um, – basically a green netting that's put down for landscaping stuff when they contoured this drain they put down this netting they probably put plant grass on top of it i think it's supposed to provide structure but anyways what it did also provide was a trap for this snake who had managed to just get himself so entwined in it he was stuck in like two or three different spots on his little body um which i don't know how he like started getting through then got fatter i guess and and got to the his midsection got stuck and um so he was just all twisted up, but but alive. And first, of course, I looked up to make sure, is this one of them venomous boys that I'm about to get way too close to? And I had a feeling it wasn't, one, because of where it was on the farm. It was, like, up near my fields. And it didn't look uh, it didn't look venomous, you know, because I'm an expert. And uh, it was just, it's all, it was an all-black snake, kind of. Um, and anyways, I proceeded to use my little harvest knife to reach down and, and cut the netting from against his body to cut him free and he slithered away uh hopefully to go eat some mice and help me out a little bit in return uh but it felt it felt pretty manly to like just get my hand down in there and uh and to free this snake so uh that was that was snake number three um the first non-venomous snake on the farm that's very very impressive very heroic even yeah i sent a picture you guys get to see the snake yep yep it wasn't huge he was like it was like two and a half, three feet long. He was maybe. like a garter oh, snake. No, two and a half feet long. What'd you say? Like, it was like a garter snake. He was thicker than a garter snake. He was just a fat garter snake. <laughs> well, he was because he did get stuck. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. Uh, what else is going on? Tell us about the uh, the certified naturally grown. Is that what CNG stands for? Boom! Nailed it in one. Ooh, this I'm guy. Learning. I'm he learning. listens. He so listens. last last time where we left. You went through the process, you submitted this, the paperwork, and you basically immediately got an email where they were like, uh, this potting soil yeah. <laughs> is is just rife with chemicals. What are you even doing? Yeah, they, they told me I, that I had – I can't remember the wording they used, but like uh, some type of weird wedding agent and a, uh, a synthetic – some type of fertilizer charge. I don't know what the words meant. It was all nonsense to me. And this is, this is the other thing I want to point out. This wasn't the – potting soil that was crappy based on my standards i used that crappy potting soil like that that was kind of wood chippy for a little bit and then i used this other stuff that i replaced it with and that's what i actually put on the form because that was the stuff i was using way more because it didn't suck and that was the one that was like hey not cool um so anyways i i emailed them back uh, obviously immediately i think i said and i told them what was going on and i was sorry and I was, you know, a little unsure of what the severity was going to be versus organic. And they were just like, I said, you know, I'll, I'll switch potting soils immediately. Like, you know, I'll stop using this one. And that was pretty much it. They said, cool, thanks for being willing to switch products. Um, you know, 
yada yada and then they wanted me to fill out a thing on their website um unrelated to the potting soil incident so it was <laughs> the smallest um little issue um so that i was relieved to see that it was not going to be uh some type of big thing where they send some inspector out and maybe like start to not trust me who knows though maybe my file is marked now with a little a little red flag that says this guy yeah this, this one you have a little <laughs> tag on your file that says potting soil cheater yeah, this guy breaks the rules, so uh, I have to get it, somebody inside the CNG headquarters to tell me if that's a thing. But I do know if you had repeated offenses and things like that, they do, you know, kind of flag your account, and they and they will ask you about it next year. So next year when I go to fill out this form, I will probably mention like, hey, last year this thing happened, I replaced it with this, um, you know, this is what we're doing to make sure it doesn't happen again, kind of thing. But um, nothing, nothing too exciting there, um, which is probably for the <laughs> which is probably for the best. Yeah. All right. So. Cool. Well, I'm glad you escaped uh, extreme punishment. Didn't like take a finger or something. Mm-mm. Yeah, wouldn't that be intense, huh? <laughs> mm-hmm. That'd be that would be rough. Uh, you did a market. What's going on with that? I mentioned that briefly on the last episode that we were hosting a like, kind of like a children's theater art festival thing on one day a couple weekends ago, and um, there was a food truck. That was the chicken and waffle food truck. I did not get to score any of the chicken and waffles. What? Because they didn't save you a chicken or a waffle? No, they didn't, and I will say they they got to leave about halfway through uh, because they sold out. I don't think they were ready for the, the veracity of which these young children wanted chicken and waffles. Hmm. And so they like they pieced out about halfway through, and we did. We were brainstorming for them. We were like, you know what they should do? They've got the cones. They should just switch to an ice cream truck after. Like, come on, just you know, you didn't oh, yeah. bring enough chicken, so for now you're done sure. with chicken. Now you're an ice cream truck. You look like an ice cream truck. Just serve some ice cream. Get three <laughs> flavors in there. That's all people want. Yeah. And uh, so, anyways, they did great. They uh, they they sold out. We did we did decently well as well. So we set. I mean, up a you basically bit. did the chicken and waffles of uh, produce. Yes, exactly. Which is uh, what? Parsnips? <laughs> I don't even know how to even draw a comparison between the two. Um, but we did we did sell produce um, and some of our, our merch, like our shirts and whatnot. And, you know, it was a, it was a pretty good, um, you know, it was probably four hours that we were set up there. And it, it paralleled what we would, I think, what we'll kind of hopefully be doing at the, the farmer's market once we start going. So um, it was a nice way to do some other stuff. That it starts in two weekends. So the twenty second, um, I will have my first market in Kingston Springs that I'll be able to chat about a little bit. So, um, but yeah, this market went well. People were super friendly. Got a lot, you know, got a lot of compliments on the produce. Uh, when people weren't buying stuff, they remarked that how nice it looked, which you know is worth something a little bit. Well, yeah, you say um, you say those compliments don't put food on my table. So Cross my pulse. So it obviously doesn't look nice enough to buy. Yeah. Um, you should have like, it, it tastes even better. <laughs> well, I will say that like there was – and this has been later debunked as probably a group of middle school girls that had just had a crush. But this girl came up and bought just like spinach, like a bag of spinach. She said, can I eat any of this stuff raw? And I said, yeah, all of it. It's veggies. Like you're fine. <laughs> you can eat anything. You can eat anything. Uh, like, do I need to wash it first or anything? And I was like, no, it's like it's fine. If you're cool with like what it looks like, you can eat that. And so she like bought spinach, walked away for a while, came back with a group of friends, and then they were asking about other produce. And so I was like, oh, they'd never heard of the, the hakurai or salad turnips that we sell. Um, cause they are kind of a, I mean, even adults don't really know what they are. They're kind of a weird thing. And so I cut up like little samples to give to people to try. And they were like, I couldn't believe the reaction of like enjoying it as my, I like them raw as well, but like, you know, 
it took me some years. I'm tw- I'm 24 years old. I don't think I was eating turnips in high school. I mean, like or middle school. I mean, like these are really good. And uh, so, anyways, I ended up selling. I ended up buying a lot of turnips and other vegetables. <laughs> but they were also genuinely eating them. It wasn't like they were buying them and like throwing them in a bag. Like they were walking around like holding this turnip by the green and eating it like an apple. And I was just like, this is all right. Like I'm fine with it. I'm making a sale. This is great. Um, also just very impressed that they were even interested in like a vegetable stand versus the chicken and waffle truck that was 15 feet behind them. Yeah, it's um, remarkable. But <laughs> so it was it was a good it was a good networking thing as well for um we got some people signed up for the text list that we send out every week. Oh, I thought um, you were I was about to ask some very concerned follow-up questions about how is selling to middle school girls a good networking opportunity? <laughs> Yeah, we yeah, they're gonna become pro- produce influencers. Uh, I'm take a lot of pictures with our produce. Um, no, not them so much, um, unless they run home and tell all of their friends' parents to buy our produce. In yeah. which case, that would be great. Um, but it went well. It was nice. You know, it was a little bit of a glimpse of like this is kind of what it's like to be back at market because I haven't done that in a long time because the last farm I worked at we didn't do farmers markets. You know, we were all farm to table restaurants. So what's a um, what's a turnip go for nowadays? What a turnip? Ten, what could it be? Ten dollars? <laughs> one turnip, Michael. <laughs> it's a uh, a bunch of turnips from our farm is three dollars. What's a bunch? About, it's about depending on the size of the turnip. If they're really big, which they can get pretty big, that'd just be eight in a bunch. If they're smaller, it's usually ten to twelve. Um, Man, that's a... we got multiple comments actually that our stuff was kind of cheap. But I, that, these are all people that are are usually shopping in Nashville. So we live in that world where we kind of have to balance. You know, our farm is here in Kingston Springs. That's the market right. we're going to attend. We do sell a lot of stuff to the the owner's friend in Nashville. So it's this weird balance of like, to Nashville people we seem cheap, to Kingston Springs people we seem, I mean, fine or maybe even a little bit high. So it's it's tough right. to to balance the two. But uh, it feels like once you see, especially when you can eat the greens and the turnip, it seems like a good deal to me. So you can eat the greens of a turnip. Have you never heard of turnip greens? That's like a southern mm. dish. Yeah, you're right. I have heard of that. <laughs> okay. Yeah, they're they're good. I don't know if turnip greens are normally from a Hawkeye turnip. Like, I don't know if like in the 50s and 60s when people down south were eating turnip greens, they were you were eating the greens off a Hawkeye turnip, which I'm pretty sure is a Japanese variety that came to the United States more recently. So um, I don't know what the OG turnip that, that gave the greens, but uh, yes, you can eat them. They're good. Um, All right. They taste like everything else in that. Family. It tastes like everything else in that family, which is to say, a little bit like chard, a little bit like spinach, a little bit like collards, or a little bit like kale. They're all, you know, essentially very, very similar. I mean, veg- vegetables are all the same. Yeah, I mean, that's here's the thing. Farmers aren't going to tell you that, but it's true. All those veggies, they taste pretty much the same, except for it's, beets. We've gone over this. Beets are trash. <laughs> beets are trash. Everything else, they're just different cosmetic skins over the same nutrition. Mm-hmm. Hey, don't just give away like, what my job is. Just like, you know, like Fortnite or something. You just buy some new skins. You know, yeah, you're gonna go to the go to the store and get some and upgrade your your vegetable cosmetic uh, look so you can have some fancier ones, but it all tastes the same. What's what's the fanciest do you think? If, the fanciest the, the fanciest what's like the, the legendary skin. Yeah. Um I think I have one in my head what what it would be. I mean, I think maybe an asparagus, because it looks like a spear. It has like little like mini like little points on it. Like that's a pretty high level skin, I think. It's pretty high level vegetable. I was yeah. thinking that if you look up what celery root or celeriac looks like um, when it's growing, just in the ground, um, is pretty bizarre. So I think it could be like a pretty rare, a pretty rare skin. 
Um, it's hard to describe. They almost nah, it's just sound weird if I say pineapple. Like they do have like this the root sticks out of the ground actually up kind of high and then there's like yeah. tufts of the celery stalks coming out of it. It basically Look it stump. looks like it looks like um, a it. weird little man is hiding in the ground and he has like big hair and if you were to pull this up his eyes would be like just below the soil and he'd be like looking <laughs> up at you. That's what actually no this is what everyone compares to. It's like the mandrake root in Harry Potter. Yeah. You know, that's when they pull the plants and they're screaming. <laughs> that's pretty much what a celery root. Yeah, looks like. a celery root looks like it'll scream at you if you pick it. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, it's a it's a weird one and not one I'd ever really run into until I started farming. So, um, I don't know how we got that there, but yes, the first market went well. Um, right. so it was as much of a success as I expected it to be, which is cool. It's good. All right, what else is, uh, is going on? Uh, basically, I mean, the rest is just like lots of planting. Um, before I came home for the trip, um, I was I had a really really wet week, a lot of rain, and um, even though I'm working on a really small scale, or I'm not getting a tractor into the field. It's still hard and not ideal to plant in the rain or in the wet soil. We talked about this earlier in the year when I worked the soil when it was wet, made that made that clumpy, um, got that clumpy soil that we talked about. And I'm Mm -hmm. embarrassed by. Mm -hmm. So I couldn't do as much planting as I wanted to before I came home. Um, So this past week, uh, I've been just kind of in a a planting frenzy. Um, This is always when there's a big push to get all that stuff in the ground. And then it'll quickly switch to maintaining and harvesting all that stuff. Um, And then usually by early fall, late summer-ish, it'll be another big planting kick. But this week, or recently I've been putting in more successions of carrots and beets, um, some more flowers to hopefully do some bouquets this summer. Um, our leeks are in, um, which are like a really long, a lot of the long season crops I put in. So leeks, celery root that we've been talking about and parsnips, um, all take a long time to, uh, mature like 110 days roughly. So those are all in the ground kind of next to each other. And then, um, basil, parsley going in for some summer herbs. And then, um, the one other thing I've been doing now is some of my first beds that were, uh, planted kind of late February, early March, um, have been ripped out the ones that were like arugula and things like that. And usually when I rip a bed out like that, I replant it the same day. Um, I'm such a small farm that I don't want to leave space open. So, um, earlier this week was, you know, getting the last harvest off of it, ripping it out, tilling it right away. Or maybe if the soil is loose enough, I won't even till it. I'll just plant right back into it. Um, and so that was, do- I was doing some of that as well. So it's, it's satisfying to look at the field right now. Cause I do basically have, well, I saw um, on your Instagram today. Yeah. So three of my six fields, um, are planted fully basically. Um, one field has five open beds left there for sweet potatoes, which I ordered today. So I'll put those in, in about a week or so. Um, and then next week, one of those other fields fields is going to be sweet peppers hot peppers behind will also be filled up because all my winter squash and melons are ready to go in so in two weeks time i'll be able to look at the farm and basically think like okay almost all these beds are accounted for um now it'll just be a matter of you know like i said harvesting something that's done ripping it out or is done producing at a level that i want um that is justifying its position i'll rip it out and replant it with something else um which is a good feeling to just kind of see kind of where where everything stands and for the most part, feeling pretty good about about how everything looks, uh, give or take a few exceptions. 
nice. which I guess I can talk about real quick because that's what that last bullet is, which is like as much as things always look great and, you know, or talk about how great things look or take pictures of the good looking parts of the farm. There have been a few recent like small failures of crops and um, I think I think it's moisture related. It's really hard for me to tell. Um, basically, I had uh, a couple beds of arugula that like before I had gone home um, for Mother's Day and, and this is nothing that anyone maintaining the farm while I was gone did. It was just really wet and not sunny. Um, a lot of the arugula turned really yellow and, and I hadn't even cut it yet one time. So it's not like a matter of like, Oh, it's been on the ground really long time. Of course it's going to start to yellow. It's stressed, whatever, you know, that's just a sign to rip it out. I hadn't even really cut it yet. So I had planted an entire bed, um, and it just never looked great from the start. And so I basically, I ended up ripping it out, uh, without ever harvesting more than a pound off of it. Um, which is a bit of a bummer. I mean, it's not necessarily the biggest monetary loss. Uh, it's not like I put tons of uh, expensive seed into it or anything. It's just more of like a oh, I mean, I was you know <laughs> expecting to be harvesting arugula like crazy the next three weeks, and now I'm down to like one bed that looks okay that I'm keeping and trying to to nurture back into looking good. Um, and a similar thing happened with the end of one of my beds of kale. For some reason. The last six feet of the bed, which are the wettest part of the bed based on the slope, um, the plants, if you look down at their stack, the plants started to wither and kind of wilt in the sun. And I was trying to figure out what was going on, and I pulled up one of them, and the stem had basically kind of rotted a little bit away. And in a seedling, in a really small plant, that would be called dampening off. If you have that problem in your greenhouse, it means there's not enough uh, air movement in there. Not enough. Uh, the moisture is just kind of sitting, and the, the stem will rot right at the soil line. And this is kind of this kind of looks like what happened to it, but in the field. So I mean, it was a bummer. I was you know a little disappointed to have to rip out you know whatever twenty plants of kale. Um, but the one thing about being a small farm and, and having all these little all these starts and everything is that I just took those last twenty feet, planted a bunch of fennel that I had left over from a planting last week, and at least then I'm still making money on the those twenty feet of bed. Um, not ideal, and or you know. I could have been picking off kale a lot more than I would fennel, but you just have to roll with it and it's, you know, whatever. Um, hopefully learn that, you know, make sure it's not happening to everything else in that field and make sure it's not a bigger systemic problem um, or a soil-borne disease. And, and hopefully it's just a matter of drainage. And I will work on that, but I think maybe in spring, this is just a thing that can happen because springs are wet. So, um, yeah, cool. those are the few the few failures. A bit of a bummer, but at the same time, it's it's – it's okay. I just, I just mark it down. I've got a big sheet of tracking notes for every planting, and um, and next to those plantings, I just write what happened and, and try and address it. That hopefully next year I can um, make sure this maybe doesn't happen. So we'll that's see. cool that you write all that down. I just started doing it. So I used to always, I mean, I carry a notebook in my back pocket, and I used to always kind of just like jot notes. But what happens then is I lose these notebooks, they get damaged or whatever, and I never like took the information and centered it onto one piece of uh, one document. Mm -hmm. So this year I uh, just created a huge uh, Excel sheet that has a ton of different tabs on the bottom, one for every crop. And basically it's just called plant notes. And um, so if I click on the arugula tab on the bottom, um, basically all the information I put in is the day that I seeded it, um, how many rows of it I seeded, because that's important for, I'm trying to figure out yields basically is what I'm after. Like mm -hmm. how much am I getting from a bed? Um, so if I do a CSA in the future, I know what I need to plant and then I'll track, you know, what day do I first cut it? So I kind of know how many days after seeding it, am I cutting it? 
and then I'll track the yield of how many pounds I get off the first cut, off the second cut, and then I just have a section called notes. So, you know, one of my arugula ones was like, this bed was seeded right before we got eight inches of rain before the flood. Um, you know, and the next one I, I marked that one, like never harvested, um, turned yellow before I could ever cut it and mm-hmm. just kind of trying to track, um, maybe why that happened. Um, so I have that for every single crop that I grow on the farm. Um, I'm hoping it'll be sustainable. There might be some times where things definitely slip through the cracks, but it's just to get a gist of like how many bunches of kale do I get off of a 50 foot bed of yeah. kale a week? So that next year I know um, if I have a 20 person CSA, I need this many beds of kale to sustain that. So, yeah, it yeah. sounds like this will be the type of thing you'll be really glad you have next year. I'm hoping. I'm hoping that if I sit down in January and I can look at what went well, what went poorly, and kind of get an idea of like, okay, this crop was 100% not worth it. Not only did no one, like right now I'm like braising mix, it's a type of green I grow. It's no one really wants it. It's like I've been growing it, it's beautiful. <laughs> But it's kind of weird and it's a little bit spicy and people would rather eat arugula, would rather eat lettuce mix. And basically what I have is that I noticed these two beds of braising mix that I planted. I cut maybe half of it before it got too big and it grows fast that I had to either um, cut it back and hope that people would want it again or just rip it out. And in the end, I managed to sell some of it as bigger like sautéing greens and and ripped it out and said, okay, you know, braising mix, I'm going to tone back because it's not killing it (laughs) at the market. And so – those are the kind of things that you just you don't know until you're in a market and doing it and finding out like in Ann Arbor that stuff sold like great it sold great people loved it um, but here not not so much which is fine um, so I'll I'll you know learn every year but yes I'm hoping that when I can do this planning next winter um, things will start to make a bit more sense um, so I'm sure we'll be talking about that sheet and things like that a lot more because. Uh, during the planning stage that that'll be what I'm leaning on heavily I used to be able to lean on my memory and then I feel like that's not so good anymore <laughs> so, that, yeah I mean many, this seems like the type of thing that like why why rely on your memory when you could write things down and know for sure yeah, exactly it's easy I mean especially when you plant multiple successions of a thing you can be like now, was that that first bed of squash that did really well or was that right. the one that died really fast and it's like before you know it every farm season just blurs together and it's, you know, it's squash all over the place. And what do you, what are you supposed to do then? You can't really remember the, the details that are become the important part. So, yeah. Uh, um, yeah, that's where, that's where things stand currently. So cool. Things are looking pretty good. Feeling pretty good. So pretty good at over at the farmland. Yeah. How's it going over at the, uh, the old office land? Oh, you know, basically doing the equivalent of growing some really good plants over here in the old office land. Those plants are mines. What? <laughs> oh, mines. Like my like brains? I thought you meant mines, like, like harvesting yes. ore. Yes. I was like, my client no, sorry, is not those, a mine. Nah, we'll do a second take on that. <laughs> I, was, I was trying to imply that you're a, farm, you're a farmer of knowledge. I'm, a far, I'm an organizational but, farmer. Yeah, that's you. You can put that mm-hmm. on your. Yeah, I feel like honestly, if you put that on your resume, people will be like, "Oh yeah, I get that." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I bet you I could easily, I could easily write two thousand words about why I'm an organizational farmer. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't doubt it. it. Could be a medium article tomorrow. Yeah. I mean, it would be great. <laughs> maybe, maybe I'm now. I'm kind of inspired. Maybe I'll do it. People oh, love. We those should co. We should co-write an article. We could do that. That'd be great. I have not done some writing in a while, but anyways, as we're throwing ideas out here, what have you been up to? Other than wanting to co-write some farming articles. Um, and, and other than murdering my Roomba. 
and murdering your Roomba. I'm just sitting here, like picturing him, like laying on his back in the garbage in the dumpster. He's just, he's just beeping down there. It's calling for Sam. Just beeping. Yeah. He's like, friend. He's wondering what friend. he did, what he, wondering what he did wrong to upset you so much. <laughs> you used to th- love him, Sam. <laughs> oh you used to pride. Ah, you're killing me, man. I'm like legit crying over here. Uh, what's okay. going on in the office this week? You know, more nothing, nothing, nothing too much has really like nothing new really is going on. We're we're getting into a little over a month away from our next retreat, so some of the internal initiatives that we committed to last retreat have kicked up into a little bit higher gear as people are trying to finish things before the retreat and I'm we've talked about how I'm stewarding one called the ready journalist uh, initiative where I'm essentially trying to um, extract some either case studies or practices or cool things that project teams have done and write articles on their behalf so I kind of finished one the project team the, the artifact that I took was one that I had created for my own project. So like mm-hmm. I feel like it partially counts, but it basically I took an artifact, a white paper that I wrote for the client and used that as the nucleus of an article that we ended up publishing on our publication. Um, so that was good. I think that went up before or after the last time that we, we recorded and then I'm uh, involved, although not leading, another internal initiative that is focused on uh, essentially writing down and codifying the Ready's approach to governance. And this is going to get real org nerdy really <laughs> quickly, and I'm going to try to just um, keep it pretty surface level. But basically, we have traditionally used a process by which we um, structure ourselves and commit to the rules and agreements and the roles that comprise our organization that is derived from what is known as holacracy. And at one point, we had basically kind of just adopted holacracy whole cloth, But we have since moved away from that and have for a a long time. There are aspects of this other system called sociocracy that we have kind of informally adopted. But basically, we have like this oral tradition of how we do governance at the ready and how we structure ourselves at the ready that has never really been written down and just kind of lives in a series of assumptions and practices that have been around from the beginning of the company and that's like no real way to have a system of governance so this initiative is essentially about writing down the ready's approach to governance and we've been um there's been a small group of us working on that together um i think a couple may actually be listening to this so alistair um, is is leading that up and has been kind of wrangling the the cats that are me and Aaron and Will and some of the other members of the Ready who are kind of wonks on uh, uh, for this stuff. And yeah, we've been trying, and it's like it's been an interesting intellectual exercise uh, because there's been a lot of really great thinking out there from the the founders of and the creators of Holacracy and Sociocracy, and there's a couple of other. 
thinkers and um, uh, practitioners out there who have done interesting things that we are taking inspiration from. So our our um, kind of our instincts are to probably try to reinvent too much of the wheel when really we should probably just be taking bits and pieces from these other uh, these other systems because a lot of really good thought has gone into them. But we're still kind of in the we're really in the middle of figuring out like what is the Ready's approach to how we structure ourselves. Do we do kind of a nested circle system like Holacracy? Do we do an internal marketplace of, of teams like in Hire? Um, is it some sort of hybrid of the two? If, you know, once we've made that decision, how do how does authority get distributed out to those teams? Does that come with um, money rights, uh, resources rights? Um, all of those types of things, and you can very quickly get into some very minute and detailed decisions about how the the company um, is going to be run. So it's important and like mind bending and kind of fun to to work on. So you guys are. This isn't just physically putting things into words. It's also you guys are also kind of. Um, redesigning in a sense or open to trying to kind of read so it's not just as, as simple as like you know how do we put into words what we currently do but also um how can we potentially change and alter a little bit of what we we currently do for our you know your governance system like yeah that, i think that that's like fair that's fair it's it is a like we have been operating just fine for a while now so like the elements mm-hmm. Of the stuff that we've been doing, like are working, so there's certainly an element of just writing down what it is that we're we're doing, which, like I said before, is is heavily um, inspired by holacracy. But also, I think really this is about designing the engine that will allow us to continue to modify everything about about the company and it's not Mm -hmm. that we're sitting here making decisions about well we're going to spin up this team and come up with this rule but what is the system or the process that we are going to use to do those things in in the future like that's the level that we're we're working at gotcha um also i mean maybe some listeners would appreciate and i think i have an okay idea but you said holacracy a couple times uh quick quick two-sentence definition of holacracy. Oh, um, man. I don't know if I can do it in, in uh, two... In, uh, in, so I'm going to go to their website. Tight. I'm going to use their... They've obviously thought a lot about how to like describe themselves. So here's what they say. Uh, holacracy.org. Holacracy provides a concrete framework for encoding autonomy, agility, and purpose alignment into your organization's DNA. Uh, and really what it is, it's... There's this thing called the Holacracy Constitution that an organization that wants to become a Holacracy, they essentially adopt. And that now is what um, kind of holds the power in the organization. In that constitution, like in any constitution, it kind of lays out the rules for how we do things. Um, From how do we define the roles that comprise our work? What are the expectations or the, the, the process by which we pass this, pass new governance? Um, so it's, it's a really interesting idea. Uh, I could spend an entire episode talking about 
the intricacies of it and like where it's really smart and where I have seen it break down both in the ready and in other kind of case uh, companies that have tried to just whole cloth adopt it. Um, mm. So we know for a fact that we don't want to just like do, we don't want to just like take the holacracy system and just import it to ourselves because we have really done the thinking and the work and have the experience around like where it falls down. But there are some really good ideas in it, and we're trying to figure out which of the ideas do we pull from holacracy, which do we pull from sociocracy, and those other ones that I mentioned um, before. But I recommend, like, if you have, if you're curious about different ways of organizing, ways that aren't just a kind of traditional org chart, traditional hierarchy, um, command and control, holacracy provides like a completely different paradigm for thinking about how an organization functions and is structured. And there's a book um, that's called Holacracy and their website has a bunch of um, easily, more easily uh, digestible stuff that's worth spending a couple minutes checking out. Gotcha. We'll, uh, we'll save uh, Sam Goes Deep on Holacracy for our bonus content. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. We'll save it for, for our, future uh, use. <laughs> our, uh, our membership drive bonus content. Exactly. All right. So, what else? Anything else going on? Um, I think the only other in a month. You said right. Retreats in a month at the end of June. We're actually going to do um, some. I think we might do some traveling for the retreat this time around. We're not mm-hmm. doing a fully centralized retreat like we did in pre-COVID times, but we do kind of have the okay uh, to uh, do some regional coming together if teams are up to it. Completely optional. So, I think yeah. the my my client team may at least some of us may i think might actually come down to tennessee actually max and if we do that i may be able to come see you at the the farm because my my colleague who may uh host us um lives in in sewanee which isn't that far from from you um so it's looking like we might be doing that which would be cool i mean there are literally some people who i've been working with every day for over a year who i've never met in person uh so Mm -hmm. there'd be a cool opportunity to to see them and yeah, I mean, even just this past weekend of travel has given me a little bit of a uh, reawakened my, in some ways, my my taste for for travel. I hear you chuckling, and I know why. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I some think, aspects of it have been, you know, I, I miss and would like to do a little bit more. Yeah, I was just gonna say you're 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 after. Um that status again well i yeah i mean i'll this is this is a hard this is a hard rant for me to go on without seeming like just a colossal asshole so yeah. i'll keep it short it's a fine fine line. but it's not even a fine line i'm going to step way beyond the line here but here it is here's the reality prior to covid i spent a lot of time traveling just because of the nature of my work and when you travel a lot you accrue pretty easily status on airlines when you have status on airlines, travel sucks a lot less than it does normally. And I had been living that somewhat high-level status life for a while. And with a year of no travel out of COVID, I have now have zero status on all of my go-to airlines. And it is terrible. It's the worst thing. I don't know how anybody travels. And um, that's all. I'm just going to stop there. That's I'm gonna get spot. that. I'm gonna get that. I'm gonna get that status back. Okay, so you're gonna start taking. Sam's gonna be like, I'm gonna ask you, like, what'd you do this weekend? Like, I just flew up to this place and I flew back. 
I mean, you you say that as if that's a huge joke, but a couple of years ago, there was a moment where I was seriously considering doing that because I needed like not that much many more miles by a certain date to go up a level of status. And it totally would have been worth the like $200 flight to just like fly somewhere and turn around and come back. Yeah, I mean, I'm not I'm not surprised. I'm sure you wouldn't be the first person to ever do that. God, I hate myself. We need to stop talking about this. I am just the worst <laughs> consultant douchebag right now. That's all right. All right. Well, uh, that's it. I've got some cool. I mean, not cool, but we're doing a retro with a very senior team tomorrow, like top of the top of a hundred thousand plus person organization which should be fun. Um, maybe I'll have something good to talk about next time, depending on how that goes. Uh, yeah, I think you stress, that's... You stress about that it. at all? You, little, you mm, get anxious not, about those type of not things? Not really. I mean, there's not that much prep to do for a retrospective. It's really about having a good structure going into it. And, um, and I'm not doing it by myself. Will is going to do it with me, and I love doing things with Will. It's been a long time since we've done a meeting like this together. And our key, um, the key person, the leader of this very senior team is someone who I have worked with or we have worked with in the past, and we have a good relationship with her. And she knows, like, she's been, she has done meetings like this with us in the past, so she knows what to expect. She explicitly sought us out to come facilitate this for her. So like we have a lot, we have the most important person in the room is a fan of ours. Um, so that sets the tone kind of for, for everything. But there's always an element of the unknown with the retrospective because it's about trying to get some issues out on the table and then talk about them in a constructive way. From what we can tell, this team is relatively cohesive and there shouldn't be anything too, um, too unexpected that happens. But if anything, I would expect they might actually be difficult to get them talking. I don't know. Sometimes teams when they've never really done a retrospective before are reticent to actually start talking and that just lead like that. That's always kind of awkward and the mm -hmm. worst, but we have ways to like break that ice and get people talking. I mean, I know one way it's uh, it's what's the best bird. What's the best bird. Maybe that's the check-in <laughs> round we'll use. I don't know. I, I don't know if that's going. quite like uh, executive leadership team uh, quality check-in round. Although I have used some pretty bizarre check-in rounds with with very senior teams who I who I know. It's kind of fun. Oh, senior people can handle a question like that as well. Don't think yeah. that's below them. They they want to talk about the best bird as well. That's true. Everybody have, wants to talk about opinions. the best bird. Uh huh. Exactly. All right. All right. Cool. Well, should we wrap? We can wrap. Cool. Well, uh, I'll talk to you in like a week or so. Sounds good, man. All right. Later. See you.